For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a Hollywood screenwriter vanishes while driving through the desert. Could his disappearance be related to a film he was writing about the CIA? We'll dig into the mystery behind Witnessed Fade to Black. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy Exeter mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Toby, how's your geography studying going? I've I've (laughs) been pouring over maps all week. (laughs) Really incredible. The knowledge that you just pull out at the drop of a hat, it's really incredible. Our listeners who maybe didn't listen to last week's show might not know this, but Kevin had to run upstairs briefly because our doorbell rang. And while he was gone, Toby just gave us this like very intricate geography lesson about Africa and Greenland and Western Europe. Mm -hmm. It was pretty incredible. I didn't hear it, but I think I know what he's going to say about the size of Greenland versus the size of Africa and how people... Yes, they they, yeah. they think it's huge. But the, the issue is that most there's a bunch of people that think Alaska is a fucking island <laughs> because the way maps of the U.S. are drawn, they have these inserts, and they're just like, oh, here's Alaska, surrounded they, by they, some line, some orange line. Yeah, but you also got to remember a lot of those maps they don't include Canada or Mexico, so it looks like the whole United States is a giant fucking island. Yes. Yes. Fucking school system, man. You think it's the school system? It's the school the- system. No, it's not the math. <laughs> you think it's the, maybe it's the fact that Blame teachers, the teachers. Well, you know, I'm never going to give teachers a hard time. Maybe they just assume that some other previous teacher had said, "Hey, this doesn't isn't really down here. It's usually going up here." And the map is just hanging there as a prop in the classroom, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember interacting much with the map when I was a kid in school. It was just there. So, was this woman who thought Alaska was an island? Was it Sarah Palin? No. (laughs) I can see Russia from my house. (laughs) Oh, too soon, guys. Too soon. Is it too soon? It's only been 15 years. Too soon. (laughs) She's still around. She is still around, but what's she doing? Probably as a podcast. Oh, probably. You know what? I don't even want to look because I'm 100% sure that's true. (laughs) All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's podcast. It is. Uh, What is coming up on next week's show? Uh, On Monday, we're going to be talking about the new uh, season of Imperfect Paradise. It's called People versus Karen. Okay. Well, I want to get to the thing that we're talking about this podcast. So, I think we should just start. What do you think, Kevin? Do it. All right. Let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Leading off. I didn't understand that people go missing this way. Not until you either, if you're in law enforcement or something like that, or if you actually have it happen to someone you know. It's a very odd thing. You don't know how to handle it. Screenwriter Gary DeVore vanished in 1997, driving through the Mojave Desert. He'd been writing an action film with input from CIA agent Chase Brandon. With a search already underway, Brandon talked his way into Gary's office to look for something. 
Nobody had looked at or touched anything in there since Chase left. But Gary's computer had been turned on, and it had crashed. It was frozen, and it said, Are you That's sure right. you want to erase a big, big scene to delete the big steal? His wife, Wendy, pondered whether his disappearance and his missing script were linked to the CIA and whether authorities were trying to scuttle the case. And even when his body and SUV were discovered a year later in the California aqueduct, she still was convinced things didn't add up. What Wendy DeVore thought was a throwaway line from Gary about his script blowing the lid off the CIA would end up becoming central to every conspiracy theory and question that still surrounds his disappearance today. The newest season of Witnessed, Fade Black, looks into the conspiracy theories around the famous case and explores the CIA's very real Hollywood influence efforts. Host Josh Dean tries to pull apart fact from fiction with new reporting on whether Gary's death was a high-stakes assassination or a simple accident. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Witnessed, Fade to Black. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Laura, I have made now two sets of bespoke crime writer's hats that I am sending out to random listeners and friends. The first one said, your podcast sucks. Mm -hmm. The new one says, thumbs sideways. But I think the next one I make is going to be about you. (laughs) And it might say, why now? (laughs) Okay. I don't know, because you again have this note is like a very common note for you. And I'm wondering, why are you asking that question about this podcast? Well, I'm asking a question about this podcast. So Gary disappears in 1997. It's now 2023. Gary's body was found, I believe, in 1998. Okay. And it's an interesting story. It's an interesting concept. In the first episode, you're like, this is interesting. This guy's this like big Hollywood writer. Um, he's friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was Tommy Lee Jones's best man. He used to date Janet Jackson. You're like, oh, this is kind of interesting. But I guess my question when I say why now is that I don't feel like I got, and this is jumping way ahead, at the end of these very long eight episodes, I don't feel like I got some big revelation that to me was like, hey, this is why we told this story now, other than just it's kind of an interesting story. And we've got complete access to his wife, who is willing to, you know, talk to us all about everything that she thought might have happened or could have been going on with him. But I guess I was just kind of like, I'm waiting for like the aha moment of like, oh, this is why we're telling it now. Hmm. So one of the things that I liked about the podcast, Kevin, um, and you have a similar note. We first meet Wendy, Gary's wife, Mm -hmm. and she seems totally credible at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. And then as the podcast continues on. I used to sleep in the buff, you know, it's just like, oh, she's sassy. Yeah. She seems completely credible. And like a lot of the things she says are completely backed up by contemporaneous sources that she told them to at the time, that kind of thing. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And then as the podcast goes on, and one thing I think is not signposted well, (laughs) necessarily, but it's something I noticed, as the podcast goes on, like her credibility is sort of like chipped away at, like gradually, because her theories just get kind of like wilder and wilder. Well, yeah, for me, I wouldn't say it's her credibility, but I would just say that she becomes more and more conspiracy minded in what we hear from her, but they do it gradually. They don't start off like with her, like saying something you know, incredibly crazy other than the fact that she does, she thinks that her husband is 
still out there, something along that. They, they just sort of like, she kind of they gradually. They don't start with the body double. They don't start with the body double. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. You got to wait till episode eight for the body double. But they kind of like present her as such that just like in real life where she kind of goes deeper and deeper and whether you want to call it denial or just um, misdirected, that part comes out more and more as we get further into these episodes. The good thing about that is that it preserves her as a relatable and sympathetic character in other hands if they start off with her as you know completely bonkers then you don't find her credible or you don't make an emotional connection to her or you just kind of discount everything that she starts to say right she's not you know the psychic from episode six very cool to be like okay fucking psychic you know, right right from the top but you know i think it gives you time to sort of build some sympathy for wendy and what she's been going through the fucking camera in the back of the damn restaurant that he stopped at at that denny's in the parking lot was broken had we been able to look and see if he was taken and in another car? Well, one of the things I will say about Wendy is her backstory is really fucking interesting. <laughs> I mean, hearing about hearing that her dad was like in business with Joe Kennedy and then hearing that like she was like the share impersonator and that like... Who did you get work as a share impersonator? And she went on the, the date with Sean Connery until her mother came in and like <laughs> dragged weird. her out. Yeah, I mean, her backstory is interesting. And I think that one of the reasons why at the beginning of the show... You, I found her so much more credible than I did. And when I say credible, I just mean like the th- I believe the thing she says mm-hmm. could maybe be true. I believe at the, at the beginning of the show because so many other things she says seem so out there. And then Josh is like, no, that's true. Like, you know, like, because it's like he, she tells a story that just seems like it couldn't be true, but then it is true. Like, you know what I mean? Because like her, her life is is like really interesting before she meets Gary, you know, and she's even getting her hair cut at like the famous haircutting place. Uh, Christoph or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, when she meets Gary and like there's all these like really elevated areas of her life and so when she says something you know Chase Brandon for instance says he was in the CIA turns out he really was in the CIA you know what I mean like and you know and, and things that happened at the time that he went and he went into the office like that's corroborated there's enough there that when she's when she's start you're like I believe her more at the beginning but then Toby it does go into pretty quickly the podcast into conspiracy land. Yeah. I mean, I think what's kind of interesting about the podcast or one of the things is that, you know, it doesn't signal that it's going into conspiracy land right off the bat. Like I think I DM'd you about two episodes in. I was like, if this is going to just fucking be like straight ahead conspiracy nonsense without any pushback, I'm going to lose my mind. And thankfully it, it turned away from it. It hadn't really occurred to me until you guys were talking about it that potentially if you live this really interesting life where like when you're in your teenage years, you're like helping your friends sneak out to meet JFK and you know, you're going like, it would seem that like having something super mundane actually and the life of a person who you love might just seem like that's not the kind of shit that happens to me. Um, I could see where that would make you more prone to believe weird stuff, but I mean, I was just thankful that they eventually started pushing back on some of these things because it seemed on the face of it, like pretty much from the beginning, that, you know, the CIA is probably not going to be too concerned about sort of a Jean-Claude Van Damme type movie, like blowing the <laughs> lid off their entire operation. I mean, it just doesn't make intuitive sense. Right. I actually think the strange thing about the podcast is there is no signaling. Like in, in Wind of Change, we're told... We're going to go into conspiracy land and sort of like deconstruct that, right? We're going to explore fully and see if it's true or not. And we're never told that. 
in this podcast. It just seems like Josh, if he weren't a journalist that I know is a real journalist, I'd be like, this is bonkers. This podcast is like bananas. But it's only because I know he's a real journalist that I was like willing to sort of hang in there. And we're never we're never told that explicitly. And I think we should have been. I mean, that is my opinion, because at one point we do get a whole episode with a psychic. Right, Laura? Like, oh, God. Yeah. The psychic <laughs> episode. Our favorite just- kind of person, a psychic. And I usually see somebody if they're in the spirit world. Meaning that Gary didn't seem to be dead. But with this, Karen also had a vision of sorts. One that was pretty alarming. I was shown a vision of what happened to him. And I knew right away that he was abducted. It kind of tipped me over the edge. I mean, that was just so much attention to this one part of the story. I mean, I think it shows you the type of people that Wendy was getting involved with because she was so desperate to find answers. But I mean, the psychic is like, I'm getting the vibrations. And then it was like, he's kidnapped. He's in the water. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, really? Everyone's always in water when it's a psychic. I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm feeling the vibrations. I mean, it was just, I think it was just so over the top. I keep asking for him in the afterworld and nobody knows where he is. (laughs) (laughs) Which means he's not dead. I'm like, oh my God. Maybe he's just too cool for you ghosts. Yeah. Maybe he's just like shy and getting to know people. I don't know. But I think the amount of time that we heard about the psychic was like a huge character in this. And I was just like, if you were going to be like, oh, I have a conspiracy theory. Okay. Here's all the type of characters that are going to show up in your life. If you have something that could be a conspiracy theory, a psychic, uh, a secret private detective who just happens to figure out where the body is, but Isn't it weird that he knew and nobody else knew? Like all these sort of side characters are like almost straight out of casting in terms of the type of people that would show up to try to solve or prove your conspiracy theory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Kevin, what do you think is going on with Chase Brandon? So he was this guy, he was a CIA guy whose job was to set up this, you know, Hollywood liaison office and influence Hollywood productions and, you know, create propaganda. They talked about Zero Dark Thirty, which we know was like straight propaganda. They talked about the way that the CIA is portrayed in television productions as a result of CIA direct influence over Hollywood. But then we also get this very bizarre scene because apparently he was BFFs with Gary where he comes into Wendy's house right after Gary disappears and is like, I need to go have a moment alone in Gary's office. What do you think about that? Well, uh, let me get to that in just a second because I just want to follow up on what everybody else was talking. I feel like there is a line between talking about what the conspiracy theory is from sort of an objective point of view and presenting a conspiracy theory as fact or something you should really think about. And I think that Justin says on the line of remaining one step away from it while trying to accurately and fully explain the different branches of, you know, where these different stories go. He will let the psychic talk, but he'll also be like, yeah, I know this is kind of crazy. Or at least the whole point of it is he explains is that for presenting it is that Wendy doesn't seem to have been surrounded by the best people when it comes to whether or not she's going to keep going down the rabbit hole. Right. right? Let's just take it go on for a long time in the podcast. Yeah, I, well, I found the psychic kind of funny. Okay. But I also, under, look, I, I, it's funny because I was binging this and I had to stop after episode six. And then when I was thinking about like, what, what am I thinking about this podcast? And I was also like, this better like come back to something real. Mm. And, I, and I believe in the end it does. But 
Regarding Chase, Brandon, like, I I thought that that was crazy. That, you know, you go in and obviously you're going to see that he fucked around with the computer. You have a theory about this, and I, I actually do too. Yeah, well, one of the things could be that we know that he took everything when he left the CIA, uh, Chase Brandon did. And so it might make sense that he felt some kind of ownership to that script for the big steal. You know, I mean, it's a great scene where he goes in and you're like, what was he doing? Like, it's such a, can I just have a moment and feel, you know, like what a real ham-fisted CIA operation. But he might have tried to take it, not because he knew there was something explosive in there that's going to take down the U.S. government, but it could have been because he didn't know what was in the script. He might have had to report to somebody, well, what was he writing? And he didn't really know. Just because he's a weird fucking dude who happens to work for the CIA doesn't necessarily mean that the CIA is so interested in the screenwriter that they have to silence him because it's just not, it's just like Toby says. They it's don't just, care. It's, yeah, no, you the know. CIA, they don't actually care that much what's in things because the more sort of like wacky things well, look in films, they, the, yeah. le- the more people believe but it's we find not out true. They do, they do care from a PR aspect, but not from a national security Correct. aspect. That they're like, oh, Correct. we have to get the president to sign off on silencing that's this right. guy. And then this is the way we're going to do it. Exactly. That, that's what I mean. It's like they're not worried about him divulging some fact. They're more worried about how they're going to yeah. look. I think because the, the wife said, well, show me a body that two days. Well, guys, we better put Operation Body Dump in effect here. Go find what we did with that Ford Explorer and let's dump it in the aqueduct. They'll never know. Isn't it equally likely that Chase Brandon just wanted to steal a couple scripts off of Gary's computer? Oh, 100%. Because Chase Brandon, as we learn later, wanted to be a fucking screenwriter. And he was probably like giving Gary a couple of like little pieces of information off of whatever scripts. And he probably was just like, here's my chance to go in and like get some of these scripts that like I know exist half done. And I'm going to take them for myself. There are movies about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody dies, they pick up the manuscript and they put it out as their own. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like that thing he wrote later is like a bad action film. That was maybe like a partially finished thing that he may have stolen from Gary's. Yeah. I, computer? I, I, <laughs> I mean, I think if you if you look at the like most obvious answer to like just about everything that comes up in this, it all just kind of makes sense. And it, and there's no conspiracy. It's like, yeah, this guy's a CIA guy. He's a fucking sneaky dude. And he's like, oh, there's a couple scripts on this dead guy's computer, which nobody's ever going to see him. I suck at writing scripts, so maybe I'll steal them. I, I, I don't understand. And like, is the same thing with like the fingers. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they've, he's got clothes on the rest of his body except for his head. So all the rest of his body is protected. So, of course, his hands are going to be the things that deteriorate the quickest. I mean, I mean literally everybody knows that. Yeah. Well, or the hands that they fused onto his skeleton after they removed his actual hands. Well, there was 23, but they actually found only three and they were just too old because they weren't really. Where were they? I don't know. That part was like, I was like, oh, my God, seriously. Yeah. Everyone knows the hands fall off. Like, that's the thing that you learn from, like, every, like, CSI tile. Well, it would make sense those small bones. Yeah. You know, they're all held together by this mitten that's your your actual hand with all the sinew and <laughs> muscles and whatnot. That starts to go away. Some of that's going to disappear. Yeah. No, but it even disappeared. It just kind of fell to the... It wasn't... Everyone wants to make it like they cut his hands off to send a message or something weird, you know? That just doesn't make any sense. It's not like the things that we do in... What are you doing with your hand? Yeah, I'm getting to it. Easy. 
we just fucked this whole thing up. I was going to say, you know what doesn't disappear, Kevin? What doesn't disappear, Toby? The show's on our Patreon. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you don't have to break into our home office and rifle through or riffle through. That's right. Nice job. Yeah. Yes. You don't have to riffle through our, our, files. our digital files to find great content. But please don't do it and steal it. That's the thing I learned that rifle and riffle are two different words. It was like one of the most exciting things I've yes. ever learned as an adult. Yes, if you, uh, Toby's the geography expert. We'll make Rebecca the thesaurus. Yes. If you like kind of just like go paper to paper. That's riffling. You're riffling. But if you're going through tossing stuff around, you're That's rifling. rifling. Yes. Yeah. Oh, how interesting. Yes. Yeah. Learn even better stuff by joining us on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, where in the podcast, married with podcast, Rebecca Lavoy and Kevin Flynn will dispense very good advice. Very good advice. Incredibly good advice. That's it. You can get that exclusive content by joining us at the leading off level. Uh-huh. You get that. You also will get at the Bricker scale level, you'll get a bonus. Which is like a dollar more. You get a bonus podcast, which is Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker. Laura, it's what do we got coming up on the next episode? What are you planning for us? Well, um, I'm going to do some investigating into firewalking. In New Hampshire. Oh my God! You're doing are you gonna, it. Are you gonna? You're gonna walk on hot coals. I'm not gonna walk on hot coals, but I'm gonna interview somebody who did. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> Ew. Speaking of conspiracies, I'm gonna find out if it's a cult, if it's a sex orgy. I'm just gonna find out all about it. So stay tuned. I'm it's hope, a cult. I'm hoping for sex orgy myself. I'm for cult. <laughs> if you join us at the uh, Let's Do What We Do level, you're gonna get episodes of Crime Writers on early and ad free. And if you become a deep diver. Not only can you see Toby record his episodes of uh, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, but you get a chance to participate. You can uh, work on the chat. You can send him stuff, you know, direct the conversation. The last book for the year is called The Man Who Invented Motion Pictures. And Toby, just briefly tell us about your guests. I had Deb Shudica, who's a professor at George Mason University. And then for the first time ever, we took people from the Deep Dive Facebook group. I had three people from there who volunteered, and it was uh, Colby Jack, Lauren Hawkins, and Satoria Tomberlin. And they were awesome. They just jumped right in. and Yeah. And did they regret reading the book because it sucks so bad? They, yeah. If they, there's a certain tension of like <laughs> fury at me for making them read that book. But yeah, it was a, it was a really fun conversation. And I was, yeah, I, I, thought it, I thought it went super well. But there was a sort of consensus that they didn't like the book so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, also don't forget our crime writers on after show. And we do the occasional live events and we'll we'll be doing something soon before the end of the year. That's right. All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Patreon patron saints are Karen Ferguson and Erica Mondragon. All right. Bless you. Bless you, Karen. Bless you, Erica. Thank you for everyone who supports us on Patreon. That actually pays for the keeping the lights and microphones on around here. Thank you so much for supporting our work. Thank you to everybody who's recently joined our Patreon. I'm trying to send each of you a personal note. If I'm a little behind, I'm sorry, but you will get one. And who knows? You may even get a special hat in the mail. You never, ever know. Kevin, does that do it for the business section? That sends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. 
All right. So, Laura, it is pretty interesting that we have like all of these Hollywood people who seem the most invested in these conspiracies. <laughs> right. Why would all these Hollywood people who are involved with this creative industry where things are fantastical believe all these things? Why do you think? Um, I guess it would make a great script. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the thing is like you've got people, like I said before, like you, uh, if you were just going to pick characters to be surrounding a conspiracy theory, like this story has them all. And particularly these Hollywood people who, I mean, think about it. If you are working in Hollywood as a writer or a director or whatever, and you're trying to come up with all these creative plots for some sort of a CIA movie or some sort of a spy movie or some sort of a action movie. I mean, it seems like being in that mindset and then seeing this story of Gary and a lot of theories percolating about what happened to Gary. I can see how you can kind of get swept up in this and caught up in the what's the most fantastical explanation that we have for what might have happened to him and why his hands are missing and why his script is missing and why they didn't find the Ford Explorer for a year, even though people were flying around, but they might have been in helicopters, but maybe they weren't in helicopters. I mean, I just feel like you're drawing from a particular group of people that maybe are more inclined to um, be creative in their uh, theories as to what happened here. But you guys, I think you both have good points here that these are people whose lives are very different from ours. And so that the fact that they could believe fantastical things happen around them seems to be pretty palpable. So I think that while there are people that are sort of predisposed to like conspiracies about politicians being vampires and shit like that, that there might also just sort of be people that would be in denial about sort of this average, very uh, simplistic turn of events that it would have to be something bigger and better and, and more creative and more substantial because that's the way their lives are. So you're not surprised that Erica Christian, the star of Babylon 5 or whatever <laughs> it is, misremembered the detail about her having ordered scuba divers to look for his body, yes or no, when that actually didn't happen? Like, Yeah, I mean, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah. But I mean, props to Josh and his team that go out and like really kind of try to track this down. And if they're able to find receipts about, you know, it didn't happen that way. And that's why that part of the conspiracy seems so juicy. You know, about, oh, well, you know, they searched the aqueduct and the car wasn't there. And you find out. No, they didn't actually search the aqueduct yeah. above the aqueduct because they didn't buy, they didn't get rent the plane, you know, and that whole thing about the divers never happened, you know, it's stuff like that. Well, it speaks to how a game of telephone can lead to facts that when they, when those facts back up what you believe, those facts mm -hmm. become the facts that you choose to stick to, you know, even when they're not facts. That's, I think that's the point, right? And the other thing too that's interesting is these fantastical believers. They never jump to the most logical conclusion, as as Toby was saying, like mysterious black helicopter around the site. Also, Edwards Air Force Base is near there. <laughs> I wonder why that black helicopter could be there. It's not because there was a secret op around Gary, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what do you think? Why would you have this high profile uh, surveillance helicopter to check out whether the car, as opposed to maybe... Walking down the street and being like one of the right. other looky loops. And if there was a black helicopter near there, perhaps it was going to the yeah. Air Force Base that's literally right there. You have to simultaneously believe that the CIA is incredibly inept and incredibly effective. <laughs> so, Toby, what do you think about the uh, former government guy with the throat cancer voice? And the Coke. And the Coke. That would have to literally go all the way up to the president of the United States. 
to uh, to get something like that to happen. Uh, it's it's just not something that's some individual can make happen. There would be severe consequences for that. He's kind of an interesting person in this because I think he's kind of called on as like a sort of expert or like a, a sane voice in all this, but actually what he says is completely nuts. Yep. So I was trying to figure out like, is he like really a conspiracist and he really believes all this stuff and that's just kind of his take or is he a shit stirrer? And he's like, these guys are making a fucking stupid podcast about this shit. I'm just going to give them some stuff and make it seem even weirder. You know, either one could be true, I guess. Or is he a fabulist who believes he is more important and his life is more interesting than it actually was? But is his right? life even that interesting? I mean, I don't. it didn't seem like he had any much to do with Gary, right? They're just coming to him as like, does it seem like it's possible that, you know, the CIA would kill an action movie film writer who was going to blow the lid off the Panamanian thing. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah you know, yes. right, they probably would. But the other thing he said that was so sus was then when he was like, Somebody with Chase Brandon's training just wouldn't cry. Yes. What the fuck are you talking about? They train the emotion right out of you in Langley. Come on. <laughs> I will say I love the Chuck Barris stuff. I love yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And it didn't escape my notice that Chuck Barris and Chase Brandon had the same initials. And I thought oh, it was going whoa. to. I thought it was. I thought that was going to lead somewhere. I was like, what's all with these CDs? Missed opportunity. Yes. What do you think about the Chuck Barris uh, thing, Kevin? Do you think it's legit? Well, you mean like his whole that whole yeah, his whole that he story? Was a man, what do you think? Have you heard you for that before? Yeah, right? and there was a movie, and was it Sam? No, George Clooney. But George Clooney didn't play Chuck Barris. Right. It was um Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. That's yeah. yeah he's like a that chameleon. Was a, yeah. 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 I I don't know. I mean, I didn't. I I was thinking of that because you know, but see, that's the thing. It's so easy to say this guy has because you're talking about a secret agency, and then like it it explains weird happenings and stuff that doesn't have to do with anything and you know that's sort of the interesting part of this story and the storytelling I, I to me it's a little bit like a quilt that these sort of individual stories are little patches that are sewn together but the patches look very different from one another you know you can put it together and make a quilt out of all of it that covers the whole podcast but sometimes it just kind of looks and feels a little funky but here's the thing that is really problematic so Josh says at the beginning of the series that he actually has written a book about the CIA that he's like worked with, like knows and has worked with people mm -hmm. in the CIA. The CIA has done some crazy fucking shit that when you just say what they did is so much weirder than what they're alleging that they did in this podcast, right? And so on the one hand, what they're talking about in this podcast is just like, you know, just complete seems completely dumb. But when you actually talk about stuff the CIA has done and they are like so evil in so many ways, like, you know, fucking with elections and like, you know, deposing people and and honestly doing shit like this in other places. What was that thing we watched where they like the guy jumped out the window because he was like experimenting with acid from the CIA? Right. The Errol Morris thing. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do stuff like this. They mm -hmm. do. But there's usually like a an endpoint that they want. That makes sense. Right. Like even if it's completely like wrong or whatever. Wouldn't just like erasing his hard drive or stealing his computer be like a much easier way to get rid of this information than, than killing stealing his hands? Like just doing a huge op where you're spending like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to like fake the death of this guy. I mean, it seems like you could just put out a fucking press release when the movie comes out and be like, oh yeah, this is, we really enjoyed the movie. It's not based on anything. Like I, nobody's going to take that shit seriously. It's just, it's absurd. 
Get him with an exploding cigar. Yeah. It's like Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's based on a real character. We do have a CIA guy who walks around and like kicks the shit out of people with his fists. Yeah. It's like you don't. I guarantee it. How do you think uh, the CIA felt when like Clear and Present Danger came out? Like those like government operation movies come out? Well, they explained all that. Yeah. The connection to the military, I think, is a good example. How they lend them hardware, yeah. yeah. Well, they'll, yeah, or or whatever. There was a thing, you know, a few good men. Remember that courtroom drama in the, in the opening? There's a scene like with the drill team spinning the rifles, and they're all dressed in marine uniforms, and they tried to get the Marines to do that for them, but they said, no, we couldn't do this because we would never have a colonel like Jack Nicholson's character do something. So they, they pulled out. Yeah. Right. So instead of, well, we'll just use the university of, you know, even though it made the Jag Corps look really good. Right. Right. You know, so, so it's things like that. So they're like, well, we can either go with you or go without you. So, you know, I'm sure Tom Clancy probably when he wrote the book didn't really care much. But there's also guys like a parallel. We got this from running with cops. The police do this, too. Yep. Right. They give their influence on scripts for Dragnet and even just like as, as much as a production crew in New York where they're shooting a TV show. This is interesting because you, you don't need a license to film in New York City, but you kind of you need cops to kind of help you get the sidewalk and keep people away. And it's like, well, if you fuck with the cops, you're, you're not going to get a lot of cooperation. You know, so those kind of organizations have more influence on what we see and what gets written for stage and screen than we know. And so to the, for the CIA to get into the same game seems reasonable. What did you think about that aspect of the story, Toby, that the, the, the CIA's influence on film, the sort of death of the old school kind of action movie? Because we do, ha- we do get the invocation of Arnold Schwarzenegger, like pre-comedy movie Arnold Schwarzenegger, and of course, Jean-Claude Van Damme looking for carjackers and car parts in Mexico when Gary went missing. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like sort of one of the things that underpins all this is sort of the page turning on like the eighties and early nineties, like action flicks where like John Claude Van Damme and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan and, and guys like that were like, you know, not tongue in cheek at all action stars. And that seems to be the kind of movies that Gary was writing. And it's just kind of interesting that the CIA effort to steer scripts or, or mold things like when it actually gets this artistic recognition it's with very different kinds of movies, right? It's Argo and, and zero dark 30. There is no Jean-Claude Van Damme character in either one of those, right? It's, it's supposedly more realistic takes on their stuff. And I, I don't know if Argo's problematic. Zero dark 30 is extremely problematic. It's and awful. Yeah. The mm-hmm. uh, sort of discourse around that when it came out, I remember watching, I don't even know why fuck I was watching this, but Morning Joe and Joe Scarborough's like, well, what people don't like is that it shows that torture does work in these, like it's a, it's a movie. It's like propaganda. Like, of course yeah. it's going to show that. Anyway, there's not a whole lot of emotional resonance in this, I don't think. I mean, you can kind of feel bad for Wendy, but that's not really the point of this. I kind of thought there's sort of a melancholy aspect to Gary in that if he had artistic ambitions, you know, I think they were fairly thwarted. And, you know, in some ways I thought that maybe that was like his stress around this script might be, this is going to be my chance to make something that's a little bit more than a ass kicking script. But I I could just see, I mean, it, it just felt like he had a lot of cred for a certain kind of movie that, 
makes good box office, but I don't think is like necessarily respected, you know, for a guy who's a career Hollywood guy and is known by a lot of people and friends with a lot of people or whatever, like what's his artistic mark. And the sense I got was that he wanted to have one or have like, this is sort of the pinnacle of my career kind of thing. And instead he was writing these sort of action star vehicles and then touching up other people's scripts. Can I just ask you guys a question? I mean, one problem I did have with the podcast is it seemed like even Josh, when there were so many things that had such more obvious explanations at the end of the podcast, when like the Occam's razor stuff kept coming out, I was like, I think there's even more Occam's razor thing than that. Wasn't Gary driving in the wrong direction? If that theory that he turned around, he, he was driving south instead of north, right? And then there's even like a, a complicated explanation for why he would turn around because he sees these police lights. But we know he was exhausted because he stopped yeah. twice for gas in three hours and then he stopped like an hour later for coffee, right? So we know he's exhausted. He's been driving for 20 hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. He probably went south by mistake. Couldn't he just have been making a U-turn because he realized he was going in the wrong direction? Like, why did that even have to be a he saw police lights? You know, it's like everything seems to have. And and that was, I think, the thing that bothered me. Are they like basing that he was going that direction because the direction the car was pointing when they found it? Well, the theory is that he that he was making a U-turn. And instead of making a U-turn on the the other side of the highway, he made a U-turn into the median when the medium dumped him into the aqueduct. Yeah. So it's, it's actually like a very, I think, incredibly plausible theory you know it's like the manchester street exit kevin in off of 90 93 and through concord mm-hmm. with that weird configured exit where you can accidentally yeah. go into oncoming and traffic. other people have done that in this in other places totally yeah. and there are so many things in this podcast where it's like even the occam's rate it's like everything's just too complicated sometimes people are just tired and they drive in the wrong direction and maybe that's the first opportunity he had to turn around i don't know there's just a few things like but that but he's a cowboy rebecca <laughs> he had pot in the car and a gun yeah you've been to do you've been doing ecstasy the night before and you know i mean that that sort of famously leaves you exhausted and yeah couldn't the headlights have also been off though because his like body hit the stem that turns them off just no my goodness you didn't think of that no way rebecca no (laughs) the person who took his hands also (laughs) turned off the headlights but with his hands before they cut them off so it looked like maybe he did i don't know blame it on the frog man All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Witnessed Fade to Black? It's a new podcast. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Witnessed Fade to Black? I'm going thumb sideways with this. I think it just for me wasn't necessarily my kind of story. I think it was it was very long. And I think the challenge with conspiracy type cases, when you are focusing on the person that is believing the conspiracy they they start to sound paranoid because they're so in the weeds with their particular theories and beliefs. And so listening to that sometimes for me, um, where you're listening to somebody that is in the middle of a conspiracy theory in their own life, it's hard to know, like, are they credible? Are they not credible? Maybe they're credible. And I felt like I just, I couldn't get on board with a lot of the theories. I think if this was half as long, I would have been more invested. I felt like it was really long for the subject matter. And so along the way, it started to lose me because of that. But I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's an interesting case. There's a lot of interesting information, but for me, it was just too long. So thumbs sideways. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for Witnessed Fade to Black. Uh, Yeah, this is a little bit of a tough one for me. I I think I'll give it a thumbs up because I was, you know, I think I was engaged throughout the whole thing. There are a few things at the beginning 
that, you know, and this is kind of unusual, but I, I happen to know a little bit about some of the stuff he was talking about at the beginning. And I didn't think it was like super accurately represented or sort of the consequences of it weren't quite accurately represented. So I kind of was a little suspicious going forward from there. But I do think as looking at how people get into conspiratorial thinking, what the consequences of that are, how people go down these rabbit holes. I think all that stuff is pretty interesting. Uh, the fact that a lot of these people are like somewhat bigger than life characters also kind of drove some of the interest. I think these are more complicated shows to make than we probably give them credit for. There's a lot of stuff about how long do you let people who are believing things that are pretty clearly not true come off as credible when you know that eventually you're going to show them as being not. There's a lot of things. And I think they mostly, they mostly do them right. And I don't know if I wasn't a critic, whether I would find it quite as compelling, but there was just a lot of sort of meta stuff that it had me thinking about in the way that like information was given out conclusions were drawn, things like that. That is a hell of a lot of talking for saying I'm like, you know, I'm a thumbs up. It's not even like a mild thumbs up. Like I, I enjoyed this. I, I think that's got some issues, but uh, the stakes aren't world shattering. So I give it a, a, a pretty decent thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm a slight thumbs up. I, I think that the risk you run is that if you present the conspiracy theory in a way that you're tipping your hand and thinking the whole thing is bullshit, then the listener has no reason to be engaged or interested in what it is. And if you give it too much credibility, you lose your own credibility. So it's a fine line. I think Josh does a great job sort of just being the storyteller. They're all very interesting things that weave together, but you're at the stakes don't seem that high. I'll tell you, when I was preparing my notes, I Googled Gary DeVore because I wanted to spell his name, right? Correctly, there's like a capital V, whatever. And the first thing that comes up is Wikipedia. And I noticed the opening paragraph of, you know, the crowdsourced encyclopedia that is Wikipedia gave a brief of who he was and that the last sentence was about his mysterious, unsolved 1997 murder. So I went and edited that, like sometimes I do, and I just changed that to death because it's like, it's Kevin. it's not, well, I mean, that's what Wikipedia I is. It. I went in and created, you know, and put that in the notes. Rebel. So no one's, he's not, there's, no one's declared this a murder. It's officially, you know, and it's like you, and you, the, the, all the suspicious stuff is still elsewhere. Did you look at who else had edited article. it and it was all just like Wendy, Wendy, yes. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. <laughs> but the reason I bring that up is that I think that in episode eight, Josh puts together a lot of great information that may refute the popular conspiracy notions, but there's no way to prove them any more than what the conspiracies are, right? So it's just sort of a matter of who do you trust? And I feel like having read that, I was like, maybe I should go back later and then update the Wikipedia page and, and you know, link to the, all the sites that Josh had. But it's really, in a way, just the same. There's a problem with conspiracy theories, they say from the start. There's just enough truth to them to make them hard to dismiss out of hand. And that just makes it hard to tell a story. I think the storytelling itself is what saves the podcast for me. But it's interesting throughout. Hmm. Oof. I'm vacillating. I'm a very mild thumbs up. I was going to go thumb sideways. You just talked me into a mild thumbs up. 
Kevin. Mm-hmm. I think the episodes are too long. I agree with Laura, and I think the podcast is too long. I agree with Laura. I don't fewer think episodes. Yeah, fewer episodes would have just made this like so much better. Because uh, it's just the the middle is a lot of the same to me, and I do think it is flawed in one fundamental way. I think that Josh goes really easy on Wendy. I feel like there's a feeling of like I spend so much time with her that I don't want to betray her. That's mm-hmm. how it felt to me, mm-hmm. and. I don't think there's any way to tell this story well without betraying her fundamentally because there are things without spoiling it too much that Wendy says in the podcast that just go unchallenged for the listener at the time that it's very hard to get through that as a listener without being like, come on, man. <laughs> and uh, later, yeah, there may, it takes a turn, which I was very grateful for, but it felt late to me. And a lot of that had to do with the length of the podcast. And there's a lot of still too complicated things that could have just been made way simpler that me as a listener, I was like, no, I think it's even a lot simpler than that. And I was just very, very surprised at the producers and that Josh didn't even go for an even simpler angle and more obvious angle than the one that was presented. So the reason, though, that I'm, I'm tipping toward mild thumbs up is that there are some really fascinating characters in this and it takes you into a world that like we don't usually get into, which is. Not the Hollywood star actor, but the Hollywood like industrial complex of like rich people who aren't famous. Like, I think that world is fascinating. The producers, the people who meet up at the Ivy restaurant, the sort of like people who make things happen. And then also the world of sort of the CIA conspiracy theorists. That stuff is interesting. So now you can make friends with Tommy Lee Jones by get into a fight with him. Exactly, exactly. And you can go on a date with uh, Sean Connery when you're 14 or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that... <laughs> Money penny. Yeah, so that stuff is interesting enough to me to, to put it into mild thumbs up territory. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the, the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. You've heard of a bull running through a china shop. How about a loose horse on a plane over the Atlantic Ocean? A cargo jet flying from New York to Belgium had to make an emergency landing when a horse it was transporting escaped from its stall. The pilots just got to 31,000 feet when they radioed they needed to return because their passenger was definitely not keeping its seatbelt fastened. The horse wasn't unruly and didn't interfere with the flight, but the crew wanted someone who knew what the hell they were doing to get him back into the stall. The jet did a U-turn, dumped 20 tons of fuel off of Cape Cod, and then landed at JFK. The horse was fine, and the only complaint was it never got a bag of salty snacks and a tiny can of soda. So panel, a horse loose on a plane is a pretty crazy thing to think about. What is the next animal-related chaos adventure? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I mean, I have to go with snakes on planes, (laughs) which is my worst fucking nightmare. You got to say motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Motherfucking snakes on planes, yeah. What do you think, Toby? A horse loose on a plane is a pretty crazy thing to think about, but what is the next animal-related chaos adventure? I was um, flying late at night during a storm. And we were going mm-hmm. through the clouds, it's just like raining. There's like lightning. And I think bolts were like hitting the plane and stuff. I looked out the window. I was like right on the wing. And there was like a Yeti or something was like on the okay, wing. Like, I think they may have had like a, a wrench or something. Like a Bigfoot? Yeah. They're, they're trying to like detach maybe one of the yeah. engines. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's there's why. There's a man on the wing of the plane. Yeah. 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 That was Twilight Zone episode. Yes, oh, in the movie. is that what it yeah. was? That was probably based on my experience. Yeah. Maybe you took some MDA in the Mojave Desert. Yes. It was William Shatner in the episode. And then who was in the movie? Was it like Roy Scheider or somebody? I think in the it was movie? John Lithgow. Yeah. John Lithgow. It's, That's right. Shatner's played me in a lot of different parts. 
That's yeah. right. He sure has. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? What is the next animal-related chaos adventure? A hornet's nest and a bounce house. <laughs> that's actually pretty good. Yeah. I don't mind that one. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We have an unusual one. In honor of your recent trip to Canada. Yes. The cat of the week this week are the amazing jackets that you and Kevin have for the cold weather months. Because Uh I took a picture of you recently. Yes. When you came to visit me in Exeter, just sort of you were here anyway. And it's a little bit like Dr. Seuss cold weather character picture. Yeah, you mean so, our parkas? Um, yes. Yeah, in your big puffy parkas. But when it's over your head, it's it's like a little cat that I could pet. So in mm. honor of uh, winter, daylight savings, your we, trip to Canada. We are the cats of the we week. Are the you cats are the cats. Of the week. Kevin yeah. Rebecca and their coats are the cats of the week this week. I'm so oh. honored. I am so honored. Oh, Sorry, Toby. Very human of the week. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. All right, Laura Bricker. Twofer. If folks, if folks want to pitch their animals, any kind of animal, of course, I guess. Actual it, animals. Actual animals. <laughs> to be Cat of the Week, of course, they can email us at crimewritersona at gmail.com or post it in our Facebook group. But Laura, if folks want to reach out to you on social media, how can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. What about you, Toby? If folks want to fact check the man on the wing of the plane story, how can they find you on social media? Uh, I'm on X at... Toby Ball and H. What about you, Kevin? Find me at Kevin P. Flynn. You can find me everywhere, mostly Twitter slash X and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show everywhere, all the platforms at Crime Writers On, and please join our incredible Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, find us on Facebook, hit join the group when you find our page. There's a pin post how to do it. We'll let you in. If you know any of our first names, we'll let you in. That's literally how it works. Get episodes early and ad free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. We get all the other podcasts we make back there that you hear about in the business section. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the fabulous Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this show is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also make secret deals for creative access to CIA intellectual property in exchange for favorable media coverage. On behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later later his wife wendy what his wife wendy why wendy wondered